Good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. How are you guys? Yeah, thanks, uh, Jonathan, Andrea. For, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. That was incredible for just a great way to start the day. You know, yesterday, uh, you know, Tara and I are pretty new to Wimberley. We uh, really, we lived in Texas a long time, but we never bothered coming here. Isn't that terrible to say? Some of you are going, good. <laughs> Is everybody else in the world's bothered to come up here. Yesterday, we went to Wimberley Days for our first time. And this place was swole up like a tick on a dog's ear. It was busy yesterday. Then we had uh, Creekside Barbecue. That's a little trailer there. Woo, I'm glad I had my glasses on. My tongue could slap my eyeballs out. It was good stuff. Uh, last week, I was in Detroit. I went to California for a meeting, and then I flew home Friday, got on a plane Saturday, went to Detroit and spoke at a church up there. And uh, a guy there in Michigan, uh, that's the way they say it up there, Michigan, he, he invited me over to eat barbecue. I eat uh, brisket. Can you imagine a guy from, from Michigan feeding a Texan brisket? I said, son, don't you know we come out of our mama with a piece of brisket in our hand? What you talking about? And he actually did a pretty good job. And that church, Heritage Church, Sterling Heights, Michigan, right outside of Detroit, sends their greetings to you. Uh, I have a chance to go up there from time to time and speak. And they, uh, they call me their favorite Texan. So you must be their favorite Texas church, right? as it should be. But we sure enjoyed Wimberley Days, and we sure enjoyed the community, enjoyed being with you. Uh, I'm going to end this series, Crazy Love. It's been a crazy ride. Uh, six weeks ago, we started this adventure. We talked about the theology of marriage, what was God thinking, ish, ish, ah, the difference between men and women. We talked about uh, conflict resolution. White talked about that last week, looked at Matthew 18. We talked about bitterness and resentment and forgiveness. We talked about blended families and living the deeper life all for Jesus. And today, we're going to end this series with perhaps one of the most difficult messages I preach anytime I preach. Now, I kind of have a rule. When I go and pastor or lead a church, I always talk about this topic because I grew up never hearing about this. I grew up in a church that never would wade into such a controversial topic. And the topic you'll see is in it for the long haul, but really the subtopic is how to affair-proof your marriage. And we don't talk about this in church. We, you know, we just kind of go along like D-Dot Day. And the statistics are that Christians are struggling with this at the same rate as non-Christians. And our hearts are broken, our lives are shattered, and I feel like it's a loving responsibility as a pastor to talk to you about this. All right? Now, some of you just got all gruffled, like, oh, oh, I can't believe he's going to do this. Oh, just relax, take a nap, it'll be okay, okay? Some of you go take a nap anyway, and that's all right. If you sleep while I preach, I figure you trust me. So that's just all there is to it. Now, some of you are going, oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to talk about this, and it's like a hot knife in my heart, and I, oh, because this has been a part of your past. But I will tell you something. If you've taken this to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, and he's forgiven you, and the only person accusing you is Satan, and he can shut his demonic pie hole because you are free. You're free from that. And some of this is the reality of your present, or some of this, it may be your future, and God is saying, hey, 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 pay attention. And I, I talked to the, the first service, and I tell you, this is something I love about this church. We have two distinct music styles. They're both excellent, but we have one family. One family. And, you know, those folks, I had so many couples say to me, you know, we've been married 65 years. I said, you hadn't killed him yet? That's a miracle. 
And I mean, couple after couple, we've been married 50, we've been married 60. And I'm going, wow, we need your influence for the rest of us who are still short timers. You know, Terry and I have only been married 36 years coming up, yeah. And some of y'all ain't married yet, and you're thinking about it, and I just made some guys real nervous because you know you ought to ask, so just go ahead, suck it up, buttercup, get it done. But nonetheless, I love you, and I want you to be guarded, and I want you to have the information you need, and I want you to have the tools you need to live a life all for Jesus. So we're not going to ignore this, and we're going to talk about these hard issues. Now, am I, exci- am I excited about this? No. I'll be glad when this is over. Uh, I had a lady say to me today, uh, actually, she's, uh, she's a lady who's experienced this in her life, and she said, you need, you know, she comes up, I love when people come up to preachers and say, you need to, and she's about this tall, she's pointing that finger at me, she said, you need to preach on this every year. And I said, well, we don't know how long I'm going to be here, so, you know, <laughs> we just, you might want to preach on it next year, we'll just see. It's, uh, and that, that I've heard some people say, well, pastor, I don't know why this was so hard for you to teach on. And this is my answer because you are not the one teaching it. That's why, you know, you're not the one putting yourself out there. But anyway, I want to do this because I love you and I want you to have a, a, a difference in your life. Now, if this is ripping your heart out, um, I want you to listen because God really has a message for you today. He has a message of grace and of hope and of commitment and restarting. Now, let me say these things. I want to preference this by saying this. Love is a decision based on a commitment. It's not a feeling. It brings strong feelings. Of course it does. But it's a commitment. When you make a commitment to love, then you love. And love is a displayed action. I had a guy in my neighborhood. He's kind of a, one of these guys that uh, likes to argue. And when he discovered I was a pastor, then I become his favorite arguing buddy, except for I won't argue with him. I ask questions back to him, kind of sees what he's thinking. And he asked me the other day, he said, preacher, that's what he calls me. Preacher, what do you think? Tell me what, tell me what love is. Well, I said, that sounds like a song. I want to know what love is. <laughs> but the next sign of that song says, I want you to show me. Love is displayed. Now, who knew that, is it Journey, Dan, that sings that? Is it? You should know those things. Okay. <laughs> So, um, is it Journey? Foreigner. Wyatt, thank you for the answer. I knew you know. Okay, it's Foreigner. Anyway, that's, it's an awesome song. Don't judge me. Okay. And, but it's displayed. Love is displayed through action. God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners, Christ died. It's love on display. Love is explained. But love is not a feeling. But we say that it is. We say that we fell in love. If you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. To quote the great theologian Tony Braxton, I keep falling in and out of love with you. Or we say we've lost that love and feeling, and it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, y'all. <laughs> but the truth is, it's a, it's a, it brings feelings, but it's commitment. I committed to Tara. I belong to her. In fact, I wear a ring... And this is not a wedding ring. This is a Tara ring. This says, I belong to Tara. Yes, it's my wedding ring, but I belong to Tara. Actually, this ring belongs to her. And I wear it on my finger because she holds a place in my heart. Do you know why I wear it on my left hand? Because the left hand is the closest to my heart. Do you know other countries, they wear it on their right hand because their right hand displays power or strength. And so it's a symbol that I belong to 
to Tara, we're committed to one another. I'm committed to my kids, to Caleb and Kayla, my children, to John, my son-in-law, to my granddaughter, little Ivy, to my granddaughter yet born, Lily Jane. I can't wait to see what that young one looks like. Uh, that first one, just as gorgeous as she could be, and I bet you the second one is gorgeous. Uh, Kayla said to me yesterday, said, I hope Lily Jane is pretty like Ivy because there's really nothing worse than having a sister who's more beautiful than you are. And I said, well, I understand how that feels. My sister looks a lot better than me. She goes, you're a boy. <laughs> so that's girl stuff, and I really don't understand it. But I'm committed to them. I, in fact, I would tell Kayla, I loved Ivy, my granddaughter, before Kayla was born. And I would tell them, my kids, I'd say, I can't wait to meet your, I can't wait, wait to meet your spouse. I just already love them. I can't wait to hold your kids because I just love them already. Why? Because I'm committed to them. Love is a decision based on commitment. Now, it brings strong feelings and strong emotions. In fact, the longer that Tara and I are married, the stronger that commitment brings. There's a couple in our first service. They've been married. They told me 65 years. And he was just diagnosed with cancer. You pray for him, okay? He's starting chemo tomorrow. And uh, he takes care of her. And he's worried about how, how am I going to take her? He's, got, he's committed. And they're so cute. They're committed. And that's the way, that's way I want, that's the way I want our, our love to be, mine and Tara's love to be. I want to aggravate her until one of us lays the other one in the arms of Jesus, and hopefully not by one of the other's hand. And that's that commitment that's, that God brings. And, and God wants you to do this. Now, okay, all that said, very few people walk the aisle of marriage in order to have their lives shattered into, into adultery. Uh, but it's happening at a saddening rate. And today, I want to help you. So let's forget what's behind. Let's look forward to what's ahead. I don't know you guys, so I don't know your history. So I can, I can speak from a place of just love and anonymity. Uh, some of you, your, your relationships may have started this way, but it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And God wants you to finish all for Jesus. So you guys ready for this? Now turn to your neighbor and say, leave me alone. I want to hear what he has to say today, okay? Will you do that? Uh, really, turn to your neighbor and say to them, leave me alone. Oh, okay, all right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me that will not be my words or my thoughts or, or my opinion, even, Father, not even my plan, but your consistency and your message to this particular group of folks and that you'll speak to their hearts so they may live all for you. And I thank you that you are faithful, and I pray this in your name. Amen. The writer of Hebrews said this, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and who commit adultery. Now, that's the writer of Hebrews says that in 13.4. In fact, chapter 13 is a great, uh, great chapter. I don't know if, hey, go ahead and take, your, take the weekend with you. Uh, take it out of your bulletin. That's the place where you can take notes and there's scriptures to go along with it. I don't know if I included that as a scripture reading this week. I should have. Uh, if I didn't, just add it. That's Hebrews 13. So let's talk about this. What causes most affairs. What pe why do, how do people get caught in this? I don't think people wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to ruin my life and ruin my marriage. I don't, think they think, I don't think they do that. It's a slow progression, and there's lots of things that go in our minds, lots of things that are, bring justification. Now, some of you are single, and you go, well, this really doesn't apply to me. Well, I'll tell you something, it does. 
Because there's practical things. Some of you are still teenagers and you're not even driving or dating. You know what? I wish somebody had taught me this stuff before I started that. Because this is good information that will help hold you and keep you from making mistakes in the future. This is preemptive stuff. So here's some things that cause most affairs. These are just my opinions and here they are. Unmet expectations. We get married and we expect the other person to be a certain way. We have expectations. When Tara and I got married, uh, we were both 22. We were young. We are in, in university at Florida State. We got married at 22. I lived with a bunch of guys. They were pigs disguised as people, and I lived with them. They were filthy, and if anybody was going to cook or clean, I had to do it. So she watched while I cooked and cleaned and kind of shepherded that group of pigs that I lived with. And Tara thought automatically that when I, we got married, I would be cooking and cleaning. Guess what? I grew up in a home where my mama did everything, everything. She'd bring us sweet tea when she, we were asked for it. I mean, it was horrible. This morning, I was drying off, and I said to Terry, you know, when I was growing up, I had a fresh towel every time I took a shower. She says, you ain't living with your mama, okay? <laughs> and that's the truth. We have these expectations. And I know there's probably far more expectations Tara had for me, and I'm sure I've disappointed her greatly. Now, just for the record, she's never disappointed me, okay? All right. But just that, that whole thing. Now, here's another thing. When we marry, we blend two cultures. My culture, I was raised, raised as a free-range child. I had no curfew, no schedule, no bedtime, no structure. My parents didn't plan anything. I never saw a grocery list being made. I never had a vacation that was planned out or timed out. Never any of that. When we went on vacation, my dad would look at my mom and said, hey, you want to go on vacation? Mom would go, yeah, when you want to go? This afternoon? I mean, it's that kind of thing. They never called ahead. They never planned anything. And, and I, grew up, I grew up like that, and I thought that was normal. I get married to Tara. Tara grew up in, in a home where her father was the prison warden. There was structure. There was incarceration. There was structure. And, and her mother made a list for everything. Her mother would write out the menu for the week. We ate whatever was showed up. I mean, we'd cook it. Sometimes it was the neighbor's dog. We ate whatever. I mean, it was, and I grew up, and then we got married, and we had the blending of the cultures. Guess what I discovered? I like a schedule. I like a system. I love a plan. I like to make reservations. I like that. When we started parenting, Tara said, we have to put these kids on a schedule. I was clueless. I like a schedule. And I love the fact that I adjusted to Tara and that I met her expectations in that. But, you know, we got to figure it out. You know, I could have fought with her. I could have argued with her. In fact, we probably did have a few minor discussions. And I said, I always have the last word. Yes, dear, you're absolutely right. That's, that's the last words I have with her. And but the truth is, I adjusted, and life becomes sweeter. Why did I do that? Because, listen, it's not about me. Mark Twain said this, when you marry, you gain a witness to your soul. And I want her to witness the best side of me. So I adjust to her. Oh, I know she does the same for me. Good gracious, she has to put up with me. But we meet each other's expectations. Then there's unresolved conflicts. You get sideways with each other, and you never solve it. And this is, what, this, what, this is what unresolved conflict does. It causes you to drift. 
And resentment grows into bitterness, and bitterness grows into uh, to slander, and slander grows into brawling, and then it just you don't ever figure it out. That's why Wyatt talked last week about conflict resolution. We have a plan here. We want you to learn how to fight right. And there's more we could teach. We don't have time on that, but perhaps we will. Then there's unmet needs. We're supposed to meet each other's needs. I'm supposed to meet Tara's needs without expecting her to meet my needs back. I say this to her. I said, baby, I know the Lord Jesus is going to meet my needs. I know he's going to be kind to me, and he's going to meet my needs. And if you want to be used greatly by the loving, great God, you could join him in meeting my needs. <laughs> but seriously, I know what her needs are. Her top five needs are affection, uh, domestic support, uh, words of affirmation and, and to her communication, open, honest communication. Uh, she needs financial support. Show me the money because it's based on security. Women like security. Don't you girls? Don't you like security girls? Nod your heads. Guys, look at them. They're nodding their head. They're not nodding off. They're nodding their head, okay? And, and they, like, um, uh, well, they like a lot. I can't remember number five, but you get the book. Hers needs it. But see, here's what, it affections number one, but here's guys' number five, top five needs. Sexual gratification, number one. All you go, yeah. Admiration, number two. Admiration. What about this week when he walks in, you go, you're the man! Uh, they like recreational companionship. They like domestic support. And they like number five. I can't think of what that is either. But I, I got them in the first service. You can go listen to the recording. But those things now, affection and sexual, uh, sexual fulfillment sound like they go together, right? No, not to women. Not to women. It's funny. I, I'm a body language expert. I'm looking at all the body language of you women. You, you kind of all got your hands crossed. Here. That's fine. He's telling the truth. Now, listen to him. That's right. Because it's true. Now, so I need to give Tara affection without strings attached. That's impossible for a guy. What we could do is give affection with fond expectation, but not pressure. Now, that's creepy, so I'm going to stop. But that's... Uh, but that's the whole deal about understanding our top needs, our five top needs. I need to hug Tara, kiss Tara, tell her I love her. Um, now, this is something we do. I want to just open a little door to our marriage. I say to her every morning, I said, have you kissed me yet today? Because I need her to kiss me. Now, she grew up, her family wasn't huggy-kissy. Our family was, and her family wasn't. So she needs me to reach out to her and aggravate her in that way. And uh, in fact, have you kissed me today? Don't come up right now. I know you want to, but don't. Okay. <laughs> so it's that about meeting each other's needs. Now, we have also, we have underdeveloped self-worth. We have false views of adulthood. And we think it's adult if you behave like adult entertainment. What? Uh, adult entertainment? What? Uh, that's just a, a code word for being sleazy. We go to San Antonio and we see these gentlemen's clubs. They know gentlemen in that club. It's not adult. And we have a fault. In our media and the, and the advertising, they push this stuff, push it on us. And we have a false view. Are we, 
we're just selfish. We want what we want when we want it. And we think this, we think that, um, we think, um, well, God just wants me to be happy. That's a lie. God wants you to be filled with joy. And happiness comes as a result of God filling you with joy. And we use I just want to be happy as an excuse to get rid of our spouse or find somebody else that's going to break us happy. And you know what? Usually it doesn't bring you happiness. It brings you more misery. Or we're just, we're just ignorant. Just don't know any better. And that's one of the reasons I'm giving this talk today because I want you to know better. I want you to know better. So what do I need to do? Let's turn to the positive and let's talk about this. Here's the first thing. I must make a commitment to God's standards. I must make a commitment to God's standards. You do not grow without commitment. You don't grow without commitment. Commitments is what, what drives us forward. You cannot be in a relationship long-term without commitment. You can't even uh, be in a job without commitment. Everything requires commitment. You got it. When you sign up for a cable company or a cell phone, you got to make a commitment. Uh, and, and sometimes I, I went to change cell phones the other day. I, got, I had to pay $294 to get out of my commitment. So I said, I will keep my commitment. You know, it's that, that commitment. You grow without commitment. Listen to what God's word says. How can a person stay pure by obeying your word and following its rules? Psalm 119.9. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Proverbs 5.15. So what are God's standards? Now here they are. Sex is for marriage. And marriage, biblical marriage, is between a man and a woman. That's biblical marriage. And sex is reserved for marriage. We'll say, well, I know some people that struggle with same-sex attraction. Okay. I know some people that struggle with opposite-sex attraction. Okay. It's for marriage between a man and a woman. If those attractions are, it doesn't mean there's action that goes with the attraction. Living by God's standards is saying, this is what I, who I am, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey God's standards, and sex is for marriage. If I'm not married, I'm not going to have sex. And God is not confused by this. And why does he do this? Because he loves us. If I build a fire in the middle of our fire, in the middle of our living room, it burns the house down. If I build a fire in my fireplace, it warms the place. The same thing with sex. If we build sex outside of marriage, it burns our life down. We build it in the proper place, in the fireplace where God intended. It warms us up. And it's the gift, it's the grace of marriage, of sexual fulfillment. Adultery is not an option. I know some people say, well, we're going to do this, and we'll just pray for forgiveness. And yeah, God will forgive you. Absolutely, God will forgive you. But you have to live with the consequences of your decision. And those consequences are awful painful. And God's standard says it's not an option. We say, well, Scott, what about if, if somebody's committed adultery on me? That Jesus talks very clearly about that giving a way out of your commitment with someone else's broken the vows. And I'll talk about that at another time. So I make a commitment to God's standards that I need to publicly make a commitment to my spouse. Uh, I've had people criticize me about talking about how much I love Tara. I'm never going to stop because I do. I'm committed to her. I'm committed to her publicly. I want, you to, I want all the churches I pastor to know that I'm desperately in love with my wife, and I thank God for her. 
Hey, we want to maintain our marriage. You need to make that public commitment. That's why we wear wedding rings, or tarot rings in this case, to declare that we're off limits and let everyone know that. Guys, when you travel, you're off limits. Girls, when you travel, you're off limits. Uh, you can let everybody know. You can, you can be safe person. Don't flirt. If you're married, don't flirt. It's not what you do. Um, it, it got, gals, you have to remember that men bond visually, and, and girls, uh, guys, you have to be, remember women bond relationally. You need to, you need to be careful. Be, pay attention. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to who you are and to really be smart. I heard someone say this once, that girls will respond sexually to get intimacy and men will fake intimacy to get sex. And that's sad. God's standard says honor each other deeply and understand who we are. So I have to understand the consequences. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys his own soul. Destroy your own soul? That's kind of harsh, isn't it? I mean, like, does it send you to hell? No, that's not what the writer of Proverbs is saying. What the, what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that sexual sin stains deeper than other sins because it's linked to your soul. It's not greater than the other sins. Sin's sin. It's all the same. And God forgives all sins, but it stains deeper. The consequences are deeper because it's linked to the soul. In a sexual relationship, you become flesh of one flesh and bone of one bone, and that bond is for marriage and marriage only. Sexual sin brings confusion and shame. But sex in the context of marriage brings intimacy and love and connection. What is harmful becomes beautiful in light of God's way. See, I love Tara too much to go down that road. I don't, want to, I don't want to disappoint her that way. I love my kids too much. I love my grandchildren too much. Honestly, I want to just, honestly, I love you too much. I don't want to, I don't want to discount my, my life for this. And unfortunately, I deal with pastors all over the United States, and uh, I see this a lot. And you hear of it a lot. In fact, in recent days, many high-profile pastors of very large churches have fallen because of this. And I'm thinking, I should have preached this to them. They should have known this. I'm going to say this too. I talk about marriage and family a lot because I'm passionate about it. And I was talking, one of my mentors was Gary Smalley. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Gary. He's, he's with the Lord now. He's tremendously influential in my life. And he said, you know, Scott, most pastors don't preach about marriage and family because their own marriage and their own family is a disaster. And I said, Gary, I started teaching on it because after 10 years of marriage, I asked Tara how I was doing. Uh, one out of 10, she gave me a three. I ain't never failed nothing in my life. And she lit the fires of competition and I want to be a 10 for Tara. That sounds good. I might get that tattooed on me someplace. <laughs> 10 for Tara. She's going, no, you're not, okay. But that's the whole truth about what God wants. I love, I don't want, I was talking to a guy the other day. His daddy is a pastor in his 60s. And his daddy just ran off with his secretary. And he's devastated. 
This guy's a pastor too. He's going, my, my old man. Huh. I want my life to be a blessing, don't you? Hmm. I don't want God's judgment. I know God will forgive me. He forgives our sins. But I don't have to live with the consequences. So what do I do? Keep your marriage strong. If you're married, keep it strong. If you're not married, take some notes. Here's the way to keep it strong. The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is a right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Now, some of you guys didn't know that was there in the Bible, and that has now become your life verse. You're quoting it. You're memorizing it. You're going to use it at every occasion, okay? Good luck with that, by the way. So what do I have to do? I have to keep the romance alive. I have to keep dating my spouse. I, 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 I do a lot of counseling, marriage and family counseling, have in the past. And uh, I say to guys, you know, guys, you're like deer hunters. You stalk it, you kill it, you cut its head off, you mount it on the wall, you say, look what I did. And that's what you did in marriage. You courted her. When you were courting her, boy, you were like Mr. Casanova. You were writing poems and bringing flowers and showing up with candy. You were opening doors and pulling out chairs and going on dates. And you got married and you quit. Well, you know what? You need to start back and court her. Say, I got an amen from a sister right there. Good. That's right. You need to start back. In fact, if you're married, here's your assignment. You need to ask your wife today, how many times a month do you want to go on a date? And she says, once, and you ask her out once a month. She says, twice, you ask her out twice. If she says four times, get a second job. And then you need to take her own getaways. You need to get away to get together. Now, one thing that Tara and I have done, we've orchestrated this with married couples retreats. We, we get a great hotel, and then I teach for a couple, of, a couple of hours and give you time to be couples. And we do that because we want to strengthen your marriage. It ain't nothing to strengthen your marriage like a high-end hotel. Now, some of you sisters go, amen, amen, amen. If it's over $100 a night, Jesus is in it, okay? Actually, $200 a night. There's a, there's a hotel in San Antonio called the Hotel Emma that's down at the Pearl. Tara loves that place. I got to sell an organ in order to afford it. But you know what? Mama needs it. We're going to go. Not often because we're running out of body parts, but we're going to go. It means I have to court her. I have to maintain the romance. Flowers, gifts, notes of encouragement, words, those things that, that build each other up. I have a policy. Every time I go to Costco without Tara, I buy her some Costco flowers. I know y'all saying, you're cheap. That's right. I am cheap. But she likes cheap flowers. I know her. I study her. I'm an expert. I'm a Taraologist. I know her. And I know when I spend too much money for flowers, she gets mad at me. But I love Costco. Costco is like the vestibule of heaven. I love Costco. And I buy her flowers and I bring it to her and she thinks it's wonderful because she knows I paid $7 for the bouquet, not $700 for the bouquet. And I do that because I love her. I love her. And I, I think about the joy I bring to her. I, I, I got I to do that. Why? Because she's my, she's my love. But I also have to keep our friendship alive. You know, one of the top needs of men is recreational companionship. And so Tara has my, my needs. She plays golf with me from time to time. And she really doesn't play golf. She just hits it. And she distracts me while I'm hitting it. That's what she does. And we hit, hit it again. She likes to hike. I go hiking with her. I call it the Bataan Death March, but we go hiking. 
we're, we're going up to Canada to do a wedding, and I'm sure we're going to walk around in the mountains, and one day I'm going to die, and she's going to have to get a pack horse and quarter me to get me out of there. But that's, that's okay. It's called keeping our friendship alive. So talk to each other. Time, talk, and touch keeps our friendship and treasure. Four T's. Time, talk, touch, and treasure. Because I want to treasure her above everything. And then we have to keep our spiritual connection alive. I need to pray with her. We talk about what God's doing in our hearts. And these days, Tara and I have been praying together and talking about what God's doing. And, and it's not just been these days. It's been throughout our marriage. But, you know, we have a problem. We don't read the Bible together. Do you know why? Because I preach to her. Then I try to take an offering, and she doesn't ever give. So it's... <laughs> but she will study, and she will tell me what she's learning and we'll listen to things together. I've listened to more Beth Moore series than probably any of you girls. I like Sister Beth. She preach. And I will learn from her. And, and Tara does that, and I do that for her. And we learn together. She has to listen to two sermons a weekend. That's just too much, isn't it? But we do that together. Dan, you're laughing because you have to listen to me all the time, don't you? Dan says, look, you're always in front of me, all this stuff we have. All these things, but it's because we want to maintain our spiritual connection. Asked her once when she felt most loved. She said, would you take me in your arms and you pray over me? When's the last time, guys, you did that for your wife? Well, let today be your day. It's not how you start. It's how you what? Finish. Some of you got it. So um, it's the most important thing to do. So here's the next thought. So I'm going to maintain my marriage. And the next thought, I'm not going to be stupid. Now, I had a fancier word for that, like um, fully understand what's going on, but just don't be stupid. Listen to this. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow any, anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. In other words, I, I got to know who my friends are. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you have friends that are sleazy, you're going to end up that way. Now, you can have friends that you're influencing, but you influence them. They should not influence you. Different. Different. So I have to guard my thoughts. Now, listen to me very carefully. This, this raised a few eyebrows last service. Did you know it's not a sin to be tempted? Sin happens what you do with the temptation. All of us are tempted. Guys, all of us are tempted with our eyes because we're visual. Girls, all of you are tempted with your relationships because you're relational. Um, but what do you do with that temptation? So what do you do? You run away. You take captive the thought. How do you take captive the thought? By using God's word. One of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me, and the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. By the time I quote that, I can't remember what I was tempted about. And God uses that as a shield. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about thoughts and temptation. He said, I cannot keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair to deal with temptation. And don't rationalize your choices. Things like, 
well, we married too long. We were married too short. I married too young. Or they've changed since we've been married. Or guys say this, I haven't loved you in a long time. And um, that's really a lie. You just found somebody else you love. You've been tempted and you've given into it. Or girls say this, well, you're not what I expect. No kidding. What guy is what you expect? We're kind of shallow and simple. Give us bacon. Pat us on the head. We're good. Keep your expectations low. But all kidding aside, listen to this. I've seen this so many times. In fact, I had this happen. A woman came to me, and she pushed out a list, three type pages. She said, these are the things my husband's doing wrong. Pastor, what are you going to do about it? And I took her list, and I pushed it back to her. I said, tell me, who are you having an affair with? She got mad at me, cussed me, and stormed out. Two weeks later, came out. She had been having an affair. She was justifying her adultery on the back of her husband. I wish I could say they reconciled, but they didn't. So I have to watch the drift in our marriage. And we start drifting apart. Pull it together. Beware of peer pressure. You can't act single when you're married. If you're having a girl's night out, what are you doing? If you're having a guy's night out, what are you doing? Uh, I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to go, oh, you're just a Baptist preacher. Uh, I made a decision. Terry and I made a decision a long time ago. We don't use alcohol at all. We don't drink. We just don't. That doesn't mean I've never had a drink. We just don't drink. Why? Because I've seen a direct, direct link between drinking and adultery. I know this, alcohol brings stupid to the surface. Now, moderation, whatever, we're not going to get in that discussion, but we made that, we made that decision that we want to protect ourselves from stupid. And so we made a decision not to do that. Even in t- when we're together in the privacy of our home, we just don't do it. I don't think it tastes that good personally. But when people say, well, you just got to acquire taste for it. <laughs> really? If it tastes that bad, I went to Kazakhstan. Their national drink was fermented mare's milk. And they gave me some of that to drink. They said, well, you have to acquire taste. I don't want to acquire taste for fermented mare's milk. Okay. There are predators out there. There's people that aren't safe. You just need to avoid them. When I was in Canada, very large church, thousands of people, I would greet people in the foyer afterwards And my elders stood with me to protect me. And when I felt like I was being uncomfortable, I'd pull my ear. And they would come and interrupt and move the person along. And I wanted Tara to know that I was being, I want her to know what's going on. No secrets, no worries. One time, it's just totally inappropriate. This lady was way too close and way too wanting to touch the preacher. It's like, stop it. And I'm pulling my ear and my elders, I can't pull them. I thought I was going to pull my daggum ear off. Finally, I pushed her away and she left. I looked at them, and they were talking about hockey. I said, guys, the Stanley Cup will wait. Preacher's got to be protected. Anyway, when, I lived, when we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, there was a guy on our way to the church building. They had this guy that had this big mansion, and on his big piece of land, he had a buffalo. I don't know why he had a buffalo, but he had a buffalo. And I drive by, and I look in that buffalo. I said, I wonder what that buffalo would do if I got in that fence with it. How stupid would it be for me to climb into the fence with the buffalo? How stupid of us to play with people that aren't safe. 
avoid the buffalo. I got to where I wouldn't even look over there at the buffalo. I just said, I know that buffalo's over there. I ain't looking. And so we have to guard ourselves. Maintain proper relationships. Don't counsel people of the opposite sex unless you are a counselor. And then do that with accountability. Even pastors, we do that. We're not going to counsel somebody without another person being present in the building with us. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to ride in a car with somebody of the opposite sex that's not our spouse. We're going to go in twos and threes. We're not going to go out to dinner, to lunch, or to coffee with someone one-on-one that we're not married to that's of the opposite sex. We're not going to do that. The opposite sex, we're not going to do that. Well, somebody said, well, you're just fuddy-duddies. No. We want to guard you and guard us. When I first started hanging out with you guys and Wyatt told me you had that, that, that policy, I went, hallelujah. I love Wyatt. We're like we're separated at birth. You're just born about, what, 15 years before me? Uh, something like that. Okay, all right. So uh, singles, most of the stuff applies to you. So let me kind of wrap this up, and I'll be glad to wrap it up, and I know you will be as well. Don't think this can ever happen to you. If you think you're standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So examine your life. Know your weakness. Choose your friends wisely. Be accountable to your groups in your life, to each other. And when you decide to live all for Jesus, you can expect, expect adversity. So be on guard. And be on guard together. So what does God want you to do right now? Here's some thoughts. If, you're in it, if you are in an affair or about to be in an affair and you know it, stop it. Stop it now. Repent, ask the Lord to help you, forgive you. Cut off all contact with the other person. Get into accountability, be open. You can tell us we will not judge you. We're a place of rescue, not condemnation. You got that? Church, you got that? Church, are we a place of condemnation? No. Are we a place of rescue? That's five of you. That's exciting. That's good. If you're being tempted, run away. If you find yourself intentionally dressing for someone in your office or in your sphere of influence, you're headed for trouble other than your spouse. If you're putting on somebody's favorite cologne other than your spouse, what are you doing? What should you be doing? Pay attention. Pay attention. Be wise and be aware. If someone's making you feel uncomfortable, if they're flirting with you, if they're coming on to you, you need to tell someone and stay away from them. And it's not impolite to say, whoa, 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 you're getting too close. Now, guys, we got such big egos. Yeah, yeah, I can't away with all that. That's just stupid. Do I need to translate that? I'm going to give you a Greek word, stupidoso. Okay. Make a commitment to never have sex outside of marriage because commitments shape our lives. Every decision becomes a destiny. And they live all for Jesus.